You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast, Talent in Accounting, with Rob Brown. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. It's an Accounting Influencers Talent Special. I'm thrilled to have me today. One of the world's leading experts on the topic of talent, particularly in the world of accounting. We're going to speak into this, although she works with a number of sectors. It's Robin Clark. Hello to you, Robin. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you, Robin. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to do what you do. Yes. So I have an organization called Winning Wise that I lead and I founded. And really, you know, the purpose of the the thing that we work on and focus on is growth. We help employees grow. We help organizations grow. And, And in all of that, of course, our leaders and careers and culture, like all the pieces uh, that are really important for both the people and the organizations to work together. Um, You know, I've been, we started, I started this company in 2014. We work with, you know, large international clients. We also work with smaller, more regionally based mid-sized clients. So they're all very different in terms of the groups that we uh, generally focus on and lead, but they all have people. And that is the common denominator. And so, you know, that means every organization has people challenges, right? That they have to think through and figure out how can we, how can we best attract and engage and grow uh, and keep the folks that are in our organization so that we can all work together and win. Sure. It's irrelevant to the accounting world right now because the accounting and finance has hit as hard as anybody with the draining of the talent pool, the shortage of labor. People are not taking so many accounting degrees anymore. They're leeching out of the profession for whatever reasons. But if you talk about growth, you need to talk about headcount and and capacity and ways to deliver on the promises you're making to your clients. So just outline for us, Robin, some of the key drivers that are shaping the world of work and employment right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think what's so important in terms of the way organizations can think about how they want to build their organization to attract and keep the people that matter, it's really all around this idea of employee needs. And we help organizations really be able to look at that. It is a massive driver of engagement because, you know, that's kind of the reason that we get up each morning and go to work and do what we do, right? It's to get our needs met. And most of the time, hopefully most of the time, we do that pretty successfully. And when we do, we go to bed feeling pretty okay and ready to engage the next day. Sometimes, you know, we don't have that feeling when we go to bed and then we still try again in the next day. But most people don't get up in the morning, you know, and saying to themselves, I want to make today the crappiest day possible. You know, I want to hate everything in it. Most people don't do that. So there's a great opportunity for employers and employees to come together because I think we can align around this idea of needs that we want to build a culture that makes it easy for those that really want to put effort in to get their needs met. And so it's important that organizations build kind of a sandbox, so to speak, to make that happen or to make that play out. And uh, I've got a HR background. We talk about hygiene factors and, and what exactly do employees need. What we do know, particularly in accounting and finance, is that the balance of power has shifted, whereby think of an accounting firm back in the day, you were lucky to get a job there. You are privileged to come and work for us and you will work under our regime and we'll chain you to a desk for 10 years and you might make partner, but this is the way it is and you'll serve your time. And that's how progression comes But these days, we're certainly seeing a shift in the balance of power so that employees are in a position where they can perhaps, Robin, dictate more of their needs or they won't work. Oh, yeah. I mean, the balance of power has 
so shifted. I mean, I understand there's always a little ebb and flow, but the balance of power, what people are looking for in their workplaces is really different today. The truth is it's been really different since pre-pandemic to today. That's only a couple of years, you know, of difference. But um, but it's really important for organizations, I think, to be aware of that and to think about that because that's really the best way to attract and keep the talent that's really the best for you, right? So it's it's not the same game that it used to be, no way. Not for the people and not for the employer. So it just calls us to think differently. And maybe it even calls on us to be more human in the way that we run and engage in our workplaces. And did the great resignation, that great re- recalibration, if you like, did that surprise you? We had quiet quitting. We had people just bugging out, didn't we? And, and withdrawing labor and discretionary effort. Was that a shock to you or did you see that coming? Well, I think everybody was surprised by the magnitude of it, you know, it's which is, I think, why it became a story, right? So I think everybody was surprised by that. I think what everybody was also surprised by is it wasn't only the great resignation, it was kind of the great reacceptance. Like people didn't, some people left the workforce, you know, the baby boomers left the workforce the most at that particular time. But a lot of people just spent that time shifting around and going to different jobs. And so organizations that were a little more up on creating an environment that was more enticing and exciting to people were the ones that landed more of the talent. It wasn't that everybody quit the workforce. It's everybody changed deck chairs, so to speak. Musical chairs is what we were playing. So, um, you know, so a lot of that happened too. And I I think it was a surprise to a lot of organizations for sure. Talk to us about how employee needs impact today's employer and and the labor market generally. Because if you don't... yeah. If you don't prioritize employee needs, you're out of the talent market, aren't you? You can't compete. Not very well. So, yeah. So let me give you the lay of the land and what they are first, because there are kind of eight that we can center on. And they're sort of organized up in four buckets. Once I share that, I can share with you kind of the data from a survey that we just recently completed that I think is really interesting to help us know what kind of bubbles up to the top, at least in the minds of employees. That's fantastic. And our accounting audience are right now thinking, eight, that's great. They love numbers. They love it being prescriptive. Yes, there's eight. There's eight, but there's four buckets. If you remember the four buckets, you're in really good shape. All right. So the first bucket is work. Like we really do go to work to work, right? And people want to be good at their work, which is kind of what we call mastery. And people want to do work that is of value. They want to do something that is meaningful, right? Making a difference and contributing. That's an important bucket. Second one is relationships. You know how a lot of people say, I work where I work because of the people that I work with. Those relationships are very significant in people's lives. And they kind of get, I guess, defined by two important characteristics. One is connection and one is autonomy. And they work in like sort of a weird yin yang to each other, right? I want to be with you and I want to be connected to you and I want to do things with you and be counted on. I also want to be free of you. Don't hover over me and micromanage me or try to control me, empower, but rather empower me and you know create an opportunity for me to do independent thinking and decisioning. So connection and autonomy both matter. The truth is they really matter in any relationship and have to be negotiated, right? Even personal relationships. Now, the other two are a little more about what we get, right? You know, like we come to work for a purpose. One is for the future, the long-term, and one is for the short-term. In the future or looking towards the future, most people want uh, personal growth. 
They want to be learning and smarter and better than they used to be. And they also want career achievement. They kind of want to know they're going somewhere. Like there's some stops along this career road, so to speak. And I want to feel that I'm either going up or I'm going out or I'm achieving in whatever way I define that. The stuff that people want today, this won't be a huge surprise, but lifestyle matters, right? People want to fit their work in with their lives in a more maybe convenient way than they wanted to in the past. So lifestyle is also about variety. And it's also about, though, bringing your kind of true authentic values to work. Like, can I be me and run my life in the way that I like if I work for you? Um, And the other one is reward and recognition. Of course, that's money and benefits. We get it. But it's also validation and um, like that uh, positivity that's in the culture. You know, do people notice me and care about the work that I do? Right. So those are the eight. We've got our four buckets. Right. So the question on the table is what's important to people? Is that the question? (laughs) Would that be a good one to answer? Well, it would. I'm thinking as you've explain those and it's beautiful context thank you for that whether those have changed over the years or they've been ever those but perhaps different emphases on different buckets yes that's the change it isn't those have changed so much at least i haven't found that even in the survey that we did we asked people for write-in needs like there th- are there things that we're not thinking of and every one of those fits squarely within those buckets we really didn't even have any outliers so i feel pretty confident after doing a couple of surveys here that we've got really got the right aid and we did research and validate those extensively in the beginning when we first kind of created that framework and model and i always ask for feedback and it always still fits in the same but what has shifted significantly is the way in which people prioritize, right? So pre-pandemic, people prioritized uh, connection and autonomy, which is the relationship bucket. That was number one and number two. And the third was meaningful work. So pre-pandemic, people wanted to be together with someone that made them feel good, right? That's the autonomous part. And together, I want to do something cool with you. I want to do something that matters, something that is significant. It's you and me, and we're going to do something great. That's what was really important pre-pandemic, right? Does that kind of make sense? Okay. Post-pandemic, here's the shift. It is a completely different set of three at the top. The number one at the top is mastery, which is I want to be good and well-crafted at what I do. Number two is lifestyle. I want a life that kind of works nice and fits in a copacetic way for me. And number uh, three is personal growth. I want to be learning and growing. Now, it was funny when my team and I first started really looking at these needs, we were like, wow, the big shift is from us to me, right? Like, wow, this is a really self-centered sort of view. Like it's about how good I am and it's about what I learn and it's about, you know, the life I have, right? (laughs) We thought, oh my gosh, what does this say about us? We've moved from us to me. And I thought, we thought about that for a long time. We're like, wow, what's the message around that? That doesn't sound kind, it sounds a little harsh, right, on today's worker. And as I thought about it more, and I spent more time kind of reading through the data and the write-in comments and things that people said, I began to shift in my own mind about what that data really says. Sure, there is a little bit more of a me orientation, but the orientation I also hear in that, which I think is super cool for companies, is a learning orientation. Like when you think about mastery, You know, I think about how can I be really good at doing what I do? How can I show up in a way that I can really add significant value? And when I think about personal growth, I think about how can I be a better me? And so I want to grow and I want to learn and I want to um, be able to do those things. And the only thing I ask in return is that, you know, I'd like to have a lifestyle that doesn't feel too hard to live anymore. So 
from the shift being from relationships to learning isn't necessarily a um, a bad thing for a company's. I think it could be a great thing. You know, like it gives them a chance to say, let's raise the bar. Let's focus on getting better. Let's do something cooler than we've ever done before. And you can really push people and inspire them in that process. So I think that's kind of a, a super um, unique and new message for employers to really think about. It's fascinating, Robin, how you've described that. And we know it's true, even if we suspected it. Is there any influence of gender or generational influence of the boomers thinking different to the Gen Zs, for instance? A little bit, you know, I don't have, I ha- I don't have it sliced all the way to the different age groups, sure. but I do have it sliced a little bit between men, women, and people of color, which I think is kind of interesting. Although I have to say, um, it's not as interesting as we might have thought because the same three stick, it doesn't make a difference. Men, women, or people of color, the same three stick, but women do have lifestyle at the top. You know, I think for women, it's just that you know, being a woman myself, I have an idea about this, but you know, it's just the huge balance of all the responsibility, you know, still with gender roles inside families and things, women still tend to carry the majority of sort of that, you know, kind of family nurturing and, you know, chasing everybody around sort of responsibility. So for them, lifestyle is, is at the top for uh, men, mastery was at the top. And I think for men, there is that achievement and confidence piece that I think mastery makes them feel more secure in their work and in themselves. And then interestingly enough, for people of color, uh, personal growth was at the top. And I think for them, you know, that's a bit about the learning and about growing in their confidence too. And to really feel like, you know, if I'm learning and growing, I'm going to be able to get to the places that I want to get to and do more maybe than I ever thought I was capable of, or I ever wanted to do. So it's just interesting kind of how the one at the top changes a bit, but the top three stay the same across all the demographics. So, you know, that's, um, that's kind of significant in terms of the way companies think about it. Well, it speaks to employer brand, which is a, a new kind of branding that's come out over the last few years. How do you become the employer of choice? And accounting firms struggle with this as much as anyone because there's no differentiation, Robin. You'll see this in companies you work with. Their websites say the same things, make the same promises, have the same kind of vacancies with the same kind of packages, promising the same kind of culture. So how do you stand out as an employer of choice? What if you thought about that? What if you said, you know, come and work for us. We're going to really help you grow in your, you know, technical credentials and capability. That's really uh, valuable to folks that are in the first couple, you know, first couple rungs, so to speak, of their career, right? You know, they're just getting started in that technical and financial world. And those certifications and those um, those opportunities to really be able to kind of increase and blow up your resume are going to really matter to people. As you can continue to talk about personal growth, talk about the learning environment within which people can work. Talk about how you'll be new and different and able to do even bigger things than you ever thought if you work in this organization. I think the more organizations focus on, um, on growth, then they're going to see that they can really differentiate. You know, the, the miss, I think that organizations are going to have to consider. This is just, I don't know if it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a notice, it's potentially a red flag is this idea of community. You know, the community is, has always been the selling point in the past. Come join our really cool team. You're going to work with great colleagues. You know, everyone's going to be here to support you, you know, kind of the way organizations would differentiate in the past was through community. I don't know that that's as strong a message today. The challenge for organizations is I believe 
as an organization, we still need community. So that may take some work in order to help people really see, feel, and experience the value of community. So I think that that's an important place for organizations to consider in how they set up their cultures. But if you want to think about an EVP or an employee value prop to attract to the right people, I'd go with the growth message all day long because that is hugely important to people. And I don't believe that everybody's website has that. I don't know that people are thinking that way enough. I've got a picture in my head, Robin, of you may remember this back in the day, you'd have the coaching wheel and it would ask you in maybe eight, 10 segments, rate your social life out of 10, rate your personal life, rate your financial life. So you'd have this once you joined up the dots around the outside, you'd have it wasn't a wheel, was it? It was a it was very crooked. <laughs> An amoeba usually of some variety. Yeah. But the point <laughs> was that if you focus, say, on your health and fitness, then something else goes down. You can't spend as much time with your kids. Are you seeing with employee needs? There's great buckets there, great facets of employee needs. If a, a firm an organization concentrates on two or three. Does some of them fall by the, the wayside that those least met needs, if you like? Sometimes. So there's two things I think to talk about with that. Number one is even in our survey, even though we have some at the top, every single one got a mention. There wasn't one need that didn't have a significant amount of people interested in it. So that's good to remember. The second thing I think that's really important is that organizations can't be everybody's everything. There is no way you can run around as an organization, try and meet everybody's needs all day long. There just isn't a way to do that. So I'll generally say to organizations, choose what you want to major and minor in and then be really, really good at it. So it's okay if you say, yeah, I've looked at the data, but we really want to focus on community. We really want to have connected uh, relationships. We're going to focus on it. It's okay if you choose that. Just be super good at it. And you will attract people to whom that, for which that is important. And that's okay to attract the people that you feel will help drive the business in the way and in the direction that you want to do it. It's not so great when you haven't made a choice, right? And you haven't chosen what to major and minor in, and you haven't chosen what to be good at, because then it's just little pockets. It depends on what each leader cares about. That's the way they're going to lead. So if you want to create a culture, choose your majors, minors, and get really after communicating about it and developing your leaders to work in that way. That makes perfect sense. And I guess, unless you're intentional about it, a firm, an employer will gravitate to those needs they find the easiest to supply. Yeah, and they gravitate towards what I what they care about. You know, sometimes we have our blinders on, right? And I think if I care about connection, then you do too. And you're over there going, yeah, 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 I don't mind being connected to you. I'm good with that. But I want to learn something. Or I just need a little more space here for my own life. So we tend to project onto other people what we believe is important to us. And that's why it's really important to have you know, bigger conversations about it. I love one of my favorite things. I'll bring executive teams together and I'll say, let's talk about your culture. Let's talk about what needs are met and unmet in your culture today. And as we do that, they have completely different perspectives because the first conversation we have is kind of putting dots up on a on a wheel, so to speak, as well, with no talking. I very purposefully do no talking because I want to see what everybody thinks. I want zero group think. And then once they can see what's going on, then they can talk over what they experience. Then they can talk about what they desire. Because um, to be intentional about it can make 
a huge, huge difference. Um, this was pre-pandemic, but I was working with a, um, a professional services firm and they had picked connection as their big thing, right, that they really wanted. And so, you know, their consultants were on the road Monday through Thursday and then Fridays they required them to be in the office and the consultants would fight that like crazy, but they believed it was the way to connection. So they required it. Well, then when they actually did their engagement surveys and really looked at the data, it was doing the exact opposite. So they really had to say, wow, maybe we still want connection, but there might be a different and better way to go about this than making everybody be together on a certain day. Maybe we can organize it up differently. So that's the trick is to keep that open-mindedness to be able to look at what practices, what um, norms, what programs can create the the difference that we're trying to from the employer's perspective they need to be canvassing opinion and finding out from their people what is important to them more cognizant if you like of employer needs in their in their talent practices and so how would they go about that Rob? yeah well that makes sense so you can do it a couple of different ways i mean with organizations we actually do like real need surveys you know like the survey we did with the world to tell us what's important to people in general that's interesting, but it could be more interesting to you if it was about your own people. So we can do that. If organizations choose not to do that, another way that we help them figure out the answer to that question, I'll tell you, almost any engagement survey, if we read through those, we can map them back and we help organizations map them back to the needs so that they can be able to look at that from kind of a more strategic perspective and decide how they want to organize up their company. Then they can use that in their employee value prop. They can differentiate themselves on their website. All of that is helpful. Um, if they choose, to go with like the growth uh, message, which I kind of would recommend um, if you want to attract the most amount of people today. But if they choose to go with the growth message, then they have to set up their organization to be growing, right? They've got to set up, you know, learning for people. They've got to build growth and development into every one of their talent practices, right? They better be good at doing individual development planning and have looking ahead be 90% of what a performance management discussion is about and 10% looking back. Most of the time, I'll tell you the truth, it's flipped. If they're going to do good succession planning, it really ought to focus on development, not just who's going into what role. They rarely, not very often, do they have really good development discussions around that. So you can weave growth right into your talent practices, depending on the philosophy with which you approach them. So there's options. Growth comes over is so important. I'd love to get you on another episode, Robin, and talk about career development and growth from an employee perspective and how they make it work for them. Tell us about Winning Wise and how particularly you can help your clients. Yeah. So, you know, we love in a strategic way to help companies really be able to look at their talent practices and really to be sure that they're linked around what they want. You know, if they want to link them around growth, which is what we've been helping companies do a lot of these days, then clearly we can do that. But if you want to link them around other needs that you choose to really major in, then that's okay too. We can we can help you think that through and, and create that. We also do a whole lot of work around really developing the skill for individual development planning because a lot of people aren't very good at it. Leaders aren't very good at helping people get good at it. But I think a lot of organizations, honestly, have kind of given up. Like this isn't something we can fix, but it is something you can fix. It's just a really, really key skill that both people and leaders can learn so that they can feel the mastery and the personal growth growing. The more people are in conversation about that with each other, the better that can be. So we do a lot of work in that space. And, and then we're also helping leaders, you know, like just helping leaders become good coaches. That was 
I kind of say the agenda of yesterday. Now we have to help leaders be bigger than coaches. We have to really help them be developers of people. They have to be able to lead change and lead growth with both people and the business. And if they can do that, that is huge and significant. So we've been doing a lot of curriculum in that particular arena these days as well. It sounds great. We'll put your contact details in the show notes so people can reach out to you, Robin. Do you see any difference in accounting firms, professional firms, as opposed to any other sector, or or is it all pretty much similar problems, similar kind of people? You know, I think probably the biggest difference and the important thing in the, um, you know, with the financial sector and the accounting firms is technical expertise, right? Technical expertise is really significant in this kind of a field. And so, you know, as you continue to go up the ladder, so to speak, as your roles change, um, where does that technical expertise really fall? And, you know, you still have to have that technical expertise expertise all the way at the top, but it has to be coupled and added to with much more emphasis around the soft skills if you're really going to turn it into a leader. And I think that's tricky in like financial firms and in legal firms, right? Where the ability to make strategic decisions based on your technical knowledge stays all the way to the top, but you have to be able to sort of do the inverse and growth uh, for people in order to be able to create leaders out of those people. And so I think that's significant for um, financial firms in a different way than it is like in sales and marketing, you know, other sorts of fields that don't have as much um, technical strategic decision-making at the center. Robin, this has been excellent. Final question. What words of advice, encouragement would you give to the employees themselves? We've been talking about this from the aspect of the employers, if you like, but how do individuals recognize their own needs and maybe communicate those needs in a way that's beneficial to them and their employer? What would you say to them? Yeah, you know, I would say the number one thing that's so significant is don't try to do it alone. You know, figuring out your career is not something you're supposed to do sort of in private, in secret, but rather as you're thinking about your career and you're looking at opportunities, you're thinking about what you want to do, get in conversation, ideally with your manager. That's the best place. If you don't feel like that's safe or you don't feel like that's a good place, then find a mentor, uh, even ideally inside the organization that you're in or, um, or in other organizations. One cool thing that's kind of going on um, economically right now is that, you know, while we had the great resignation, that's no longer now, you know, people are, you know, there's a, the mass hiring is not going on any longer to compensate for the great resignation. So what a lot of companies are focusing on is a brand new metric, which is internal promotions. Like I have one company right now trying to take it from 43% to 70. That is a significant change in internal promotions. So if people understand that and they know that that metric is beginning to get a lot more notice inside companies, what a really good time to be talking to your own boss and to be talking to mentors inside your company to let them know that you want to be a person who can grow with them. You want that sort of future opportunity. So I say the number one thing you could do is get talking um, to other people and then do a lot of listening. (laughs) You might find some cool stuff going on. Well, Robin Clark, that's been world-class. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today. We really appreciate it. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. 